Hello and welcome to Feed, Play, Love and this episode of Help Play with Mothercraft Nurse Chris Minogue. Um, Chris has had over 30 years experience helping families across Sydney and Australia work out um, everything from settling their sleeping baby to, sorry that was just me, motioning to my daughter to be quiet because now we're on... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we're on air so this is uh, what happens in lockdown how are you Chris I'm really well how are you I'm good I'm good um for those of you listening on the podcast you can't see that I'm doing this from home because I'm based in Sydney and we're still in lockdown as is Chris so um, I hope everyone out there who is in lockdown is surviving okay and juggling what they need to do but now is your opportunity to tap into an expert's brain on how to manage things if your little baby or child is not perhaps uh, going as per you would like them to, as in terms of sleep or behaviour or feeding. If you have a question and you've joined us via Facebook Live, please pop your question below in the comment section. If you're listening via the podcast, you can email us at helpline at theparentbrand.com.au and we will answer your question next week. But let's start. We had an email this morning. Unfortunately, I didn't get a name, but she writes, Hi, ladies. I'm currently 31 weeks pregnant with my second child. My previous birth and breastfeeding journey was rocky and painful to say the least. LOL. So she's she's laughing about it. That's good. But I'm mostly dreading breastfeeding. I feel your pain. Um, I really struggled at the start. I had engorged breasts all the time. It was so incredibly painful. I did, however, manage to breastfeed Bub for 15 months. I eventually worked it out and I'm glad I stuck with it. How can I better prepare myself so I'm not feeling overwhelmed and losing sleep over it? I think um, that lots of people who have experienced a difficult first start you know, really go into their next pregnancy thinking it will be the same. But there's something that we all say when we work with feeding is no two babies are the same. So I think in your general area, I would contact the Australian Breastfeeding Association and maybe speak to one of the girls on the line there to give you a few pointers on what to expect a second time round. And I think the first thing you need to reassure yourself is that you fed her for 15 months. And that that skill will come back this time. And I think managing that initial um, engorgement that you get is probably the biggest thing here. So does the hospital that you're delivering at offer that service of a lactation team on the ward? Or maybe your community early childhood centre sister, they might have a breastfeeding um, clinic attached to it and maybe going to speak to someone there. So you've built a relationship with that person before this baby comes. And then getting on top of that engorgement really quickly because your milk does come in quicker and faster on your second and subsequent babies. So you still have to manage that. But keep in the back of the mind that you fed that little one for 15 months, which was a great achievement and that you can do that again. So I think connecting with someone that you can go back and see and chatting to them at about 36 weeks and getting your head in the space of feeding a new baby and how your body's going to react is really going to help you go through those early weeks. Now, Chris, I don't know if you can answer this, so please feel free to pass on it. But um, something that someone was talking to me about, um, I thought you may 
have some insight. Do you know whether pregnant women can have any of the coronavirus vaccines? Um, I just listened to a podcast not long ago, and I think they can. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they can have the corona vaccine at this stage. But I think the person to go to is either the, depending on what state they're in, into their New South Wales health, for instance, and looking at that and speaking to your GP. They're all over it. So, but if I remember correctly, I'm fairly sure that they can have their corona vaccine so either Pfizer or AstraZeneca but but obviously take your GP's advice yeah absolutely. I just thought absolutely. if I was pregnant right now I think I'd be really worried about that because yeah. everyone's rushing to get the vaccine and I think it was on the podcast the corona, the corona, corona yeah, podcast. Norman yeah. Swan okay Norman that's one. yeah sounds like a good one to look into but okay to your GP or your obstetrician is the way to go yeah, and I'll look into it further. So keep yeah. tuned to Fee Play Love and I'll, I'll put something up about that. Yeah. Um, we have a question from Mandy who says, my two-year-old was really excited at the arrival of her baby brother, but now that he's three months old, the jealousy <laughs> is really kicking in. She can be a little rough on him sometimes, with him sometimes, and it's con- is constantly trying to get my attention or climb into my lap when I'm doing things with the baby like nappy changes or breastfeeding. She has pulled him off my breast while feeding once as well. I'm worried things might escalate if I don't do something about this. But where do I start? I've tried getting her involved with nappy changes and I always give her an activity to do next to us while we feed, but it doesn't seem to be helping. Look, I think this one is really common, really common and um, and also common down the track. I think people worry about the moment they bring a baby home, but it's actually down the track. I think their little brains go, well, that was a nice visitor, but why are they still staying and they haven't left? And there's this adjustment period where that little one's got to realise you're a family of four now or a family of five, and she's two, and two-year-olds are fairly self-centred. The world is about them and where they fit into it. But you are doing the right things. So you do, you are setting up an activity for when you're feeding that baby. The good thing about three-month-olds is the feeding is less, okay, and what I think you have to be um, just conscious of is that sometimes what we do is we feed our baby and then we hold the baby a lot, like calm it down, settle it down, and this little two-year-old's just seeing lots of holding the baby more than even about the feeding. So giving that little one a safe space at the moment, so maybe um, a porticot that's set up that they can play in and giving your daughter... um, some attention, but not going overboard. We don't want it to be this overboard thing. We want this to be a normal thing. So safe space is just for when you're out of the room. After a feed and the baby's down and he's bouncing about and he's bouncer and you're playing with the little one for a, a little bit, then maybe get that little baby and place the baby in the play space. So if you're playing tea sets with your little one, and she's making you a cup of tea, then maybe having the baby just in the space. Don't focus in on the baby, just have the baby in the space for short periods will help her see you see it as moving on to a family of four or five. So not always just pushing that baby aside to give attention to her and then going overboard with the attention to her. It's a little bit about showing her that this is the new norm because you're already doing the right thing. 
by sitting down and, and distracting her or engaging her in a story while you're feeding. Remember those feeds are going to get shorter, the distance is going to get longer, and before long you're through this phase. So go slowly, um, put them in the space together, stay close if you're in the space together with them, using words like gentle hands and knowing that as she comes towards you, she might try and do something on that with that baby, but you engaging her to distract her out of it. And I'm sure this time will pass fairly quickly. We have a question from Barbara on Facebook. She says, our little 12-month-old has started has started to just sit and cry suddenly, then roll around. She only stops if we pick her up and walk around with her. So it doesn't seem to be a pain-related issue. She's been seen by a GP and there doesn't seem to be any medical issues, so I'm not sure if she's just bored or has some unseen tummy troubles. So she sits up, cries, and then starts to roll around. Yeah, I think this is called peak of attachment. So it's common in um, babies between 9 and 12 months when they're put on the floor and mum goes to do something or the carer goes to do something, they start crying until they're picked up. So I think the thing to reassure you about the is it pain or is this behaviour is that if you pick her up and have her in your arms, does she calm down, quieten down, is calm and relaxed? If she was still in pain, I think she'd be very tense, very tight, uh, trying to crawl into a ball because there's some sort of discomfort. But if you pick her up and she's calm and relaxed, this is called peak of attachment. And generally speaking, once you've worked that out, you've got to teach her in little, little tiny windows to how to be on her own. So if you put her in the lounge room and you're in the lounge room and she starts crying, then I would engage her in play in the lounge room. Okay, I wouldn't initially pick her up. Okay, if you're if she's in the lounge room and you've gone to the kitchen and she starts crying, I'd pick her up and I'd take her to the kitchen and let her play on the floor with the Tupperware and that will calm this behaviour down, okay? So I think what she's done is she realises that you're going, like if she gets put down, that you're going, even if you're only going to the, to the lounge or to, to do something, and they want to be part of it. So first work out, is this a behaviour or is this something related to discomfort? And then once you've, once you've worked that part out, then you're going to do small increments, take her with you, and when she's crying, you're going to get on the floor and play with her before you pick her up. If you pick her up, short period of comfort, back on the floor, back to engaging her and then move away again. And this can take either three days, three weeks or three months to get over. <laughs> Let's hope it's the three days. Yeah. Let's hope so. Uh, so we have a question from Rebecca on Facebook. She says, my nine-month-old has been whining a lot when eating solids. He does eat solids and seems to enjoy them. He's been seen by a paediatrician and speech therapist, but no one has found anything wrong. It's it is disruptive now for almost every meal. Wow. Whining while he's eating. Hmm. And he, he seems to enjoy them. Seems unusual, doesn't it? I wonder if whining is a form of almost talking to you while he's eating. It's a bit hard. In this one, it would probably be interesting to get a video of what he's doing, you know, mm -hmm. to see it in context. So if he's enjoying it and he's whining, I could only imagine that he's almost using it as a form of talking um, to you, like almost humming to you while, and lots of babies hum while they eat because they're actually enjoying it. 
But And you said he was whining, not crying. So I wonder if it's just a sound he makes while he's eating. But in this one, I think we'd need to actually see it in context to help. Um, the only thing I can think of is maybe he's whining because he's in the high chair. And try a couple of, of meals where you sit him on your lap to the table and the meal's in front, especially his finger food meals like, you know, at lunchtime he's having just finger food, try it sitting on your lap and see if the noise decreases or pull the high chair up to the table, sit beside him and eat and see if the crying or the whining in decreases. But this one I think we'd have to see it in context to see what it was he was crying about. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, good luck, Rebecca. Oh, That's Rebecca. a little bit of a different one, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, we have a question from Larissa. She says, my 12-month-old was recently unwell on and off for about four weeks after she started daycare. Before yeah. she was sick, we would get up once a night for a bottle. But while she was sick, she was up around three times a night. Unfortunately, the frequent waking is still happening, even though she's all better now. I think it's become a habit. How do we get back to only one or hopefully none or no bottles during the night? Okay. So I think with this one, because she's 12 months old, I'd just go to no bottles overnight because she doesn't need a bottle overnight. But the way I do it is by weaning the bottles down. So for the next two nights, I'd only put 60 mils in the bottles. Okay. So we're shortening the time that she takes on the bottles. She can have three bottles in the day, like breakfast, lunch and dinner, okay? So if she's taking breakfast, lunch and dinner and three meals and a snack in there or thereabouts, then she doesn't need bottles overnight. Well, she doesn't need them anyway because she's 12 months old. So first thing is I wean it down to 60 mils for the first two nights. The next two nights... Um, I would, the first time she wakes up and you would give her a bottle, I'd reset her on that bottle, okay? So if she wakes up at 11 and you normally would have given her a bottle, I'd be resettling her, whether it took 20 minutes, an hour, whatever it takes to resettle her. Now, one of two things will happen. She'll either sleep longer, so that naturally pushes the next wake up, that pushes the bottles out. But the next wake up, I would give her her 60 mils of a bottle. And then if there was a third wake up, I'd resettle her. I'd do that for two nights and then effectively you're down to one feed overnight. And then for the next three to five nights, I would resettle her and not give her a bottle overnight. So I think if you have a bit of a plan of how to do it, then she'll know that things are shifting and moving as opposed to her having three bottles tonight and none tomorrow night. I think that's too big a step from three bottles. That's okay if I was on one bottle. But with three bottles, I think I would wean it down to one and then I would um, settle her through the night, which isn't easy with a 12-month-old and you're going to maybe need the support of your partner to do it. But by then it'll be almost the weekend and maybe together you can get her to resettle and wean her off those bottles. Good luck, Larissa. We have a question from Gloria on Facebook. She says, I'm due in September with a boy and we have a 21-month-old girl. What is the best way to introduce them? We do talk to our daughter about her new brother and that we will get to see him. Okay. So um, I think the first thing with a 21-month-old is it depends on their language skills. Some 21-month-olds have a good comprehension of language. Others are still quite basic in their language. Um, but in this age group, I do a lot of visual things to get them ready because lots of people run around saying you're going to be a big sister and this baby's coming. 
but she doesn't actually know what that means. She's 21 months. So if you say to her, let's go to the park, she thinks you're going now to the park. So if you keep saying, oh, this brother's coming, she'll start looking and, you know, to her September is a long way away. So let's do some visual things to help her out to understand. So prior in that sort of three weeks before you're due, you might do things like change the car seats around if needed. You know, like her position in the car seat might have, uh, her position in the car might move and you put the baby capsule or the baby car seat in and then there's a visual. You put the bassinet up in your room and you say that's for this new brother to come and sleep in. So in this age group, I'd be doing more visual things. And then when they, um, when you come home with the baby, we actually show her the baby. So we unwrap them because they're so docile in that first few days. Unwrap them, let them look at them, let them touch their toes and touch their fingers. Lots of people are saying, no, don't, no, don't. And all she hears is no and don't. So let's show her what a baby looks like and then wrap him up and put him down. And I think the biggest thing at this age group is sometimes when the baby cries, they cry because they're not sure why babies cry and they cry because they need something. So just be a little bit aware that she might be a bit emotional because she doesn't know how to regulate all those emotions straight off. Um, so when he cries, maybe you just explain, oh, he's crying because his nappy's wet or he's crying because he wants a cuddle. And just put a little bit of just really simple language to those cries for her. But I think you'll be surprised how well it goes at 21 months. As long as her needs are met, she's usually really happy just to be in your space, whether you're feeding a baby or not. So hopefully it'll go really well. Yes, good luck. Uh, this question comes from Kent. He says, our daughter is almost one years old and she has never slept through the night. The longest she slept at night is six to seven hours, 8 p.m. till 2 or 3 a.m. She wakes up at least once and sometimes two or three times crying and my wife comfort feeds her back to sleep. We have tried letting her cry it out and settle herself, but the crying will eventually turn into screaming and she'll crawl around her cot refusing to lie down. We've tried giving her water, which she does take sometimes, but really she just wants the breast and to get some sleep ourselves. The quick feed is the quickest way to get her back to sleep. My wife is supposed to return to work in about six weeks, so we'd love some advice to wean her off the comfort feeding at night so we can both have some decent sleep. Do you have any tips to share? Yes, I think both of you have to agree not to do the comfort feeding. So that's the first thing, that the first barrier is actually making the decision not to feed her, not how to get her to go back. That's part of the process. But once you've actually physically made that, you've sat down, you've spoken about it, you want to move on, you wanted to sleep well, it's time to make that decision. And that's I talk a lot about that with my clients who are often in a similar position where it's just easier to feed them um, regardless of what that feed is, whether it's a bottle or a breast. But obviously with the breast, it's a much quicker and instinctive thing for a mother to do. But once it's got to this point where it's, you know, multiple times, um, I'm sure if she only fed once a night and slept till six in the morning, this would not be an issue. But the fact that she's waking multiple times from the point of waking 
now you're actually getting really tired. So I think she's 12 months old, so it's very reasonable that she doesn't need a feed overnight. She's quite capable of going through the night. So we're not asking her to do something that isn't reasonable for her age. And then the second thing is that the two of you have to be ready to do it. And I find once parents actually go, yes, this is where we want to go, as opposed to one person doing it, and then the other person not, then I think it's much better for the child because your consistency rate is much higher. So once you get to that point where you're ready, it's all over. You just have to take all the feeds away from her at this point because she's on that one. And this requires often the partner to do a lot more work. So Kent, I would do it across a weekend where you're not, you know, overloaded by work at the same time and her seeing you. So leaving her for a few minutes, going in, um, if she's laying down or crawling, then just try and pat her. If she's not willing to have the padding, then leave for another few minutes, come back, try it again. So you've tried it twice. If she's really getting worked up, pick her up, give her a cuddle, calm her down, calm her right down, put her down, pat, pat, pat. If she's not accepting it, walk out for a few minutes, walk back in, repeat. So two attempts at padding and then a pick up and a cuddle and then putting her down. So I think we have to put some comfort in there as opposed to people who might be thinking she should need controlled crying because she's been getting comfort by the breastfeeding. We're just taking the feeding away. And then over time you're going to maybe lengthen the time of her trying to self-settle and she'll be more accepting of the pat. So take a little bit of time, sit down, think about your time and your strategy, and then I'm sure it'll work perfectly for her. Our next question comes from Claire. She says, hi, Chris, I have a toilet training question. My daughter is now two years and four months and we started daytime toilet training her at around 19 months because she showed all the signs of being ready. It has gone well with the wheeze. She proudly grabs her potty and announces that she needs to go. But she's not yet done a poo in the potty or the toilet. She just doesn't seem to understand that poos are also something we do on the loo, just like wheeze. She gives us no indication of needing to poo, except that I have found her sitting behind our couch to do them in her nappy a couple of times. I'm not sure if she's hiding or looking for privacy, and I have no idea how to get her to link poos with a toilet or potty like she has with wees. Any tips? Look, I think you're doing well, and I think you need to sit back and just accept that you're doing well because <laughs> she's 19 months and very few 19-month-olds. Well, she's not. She's older than that now, but at 19 months is extremely rare to get a child to recognise that. So if we would normally toilet training at, say, two and a half, then we do give them almost another six months to get the pooping in the right sequence. So I think this is just a time and patience more than anything. She's doing exactly what we would think she's doing. She's starting to do what we call sneaky poos. So she goes and finds this, a little quiet spot and she goes and does a poop. The good thing about watching that is now you know what her signs are and in time I think you'll be able to, to say let's try for doing our poops in our potty. So I think the really difficult thing with this is that I think she's probably associated wheeze in the potty and still doesn't know what the pooping's all about. But it'll come in time. So I think you've got to give this a little bit longer. Watch her because those sneaky poos will increase so she'll start to go and hide or sit in a corner or go behind the curtains and at that point once you've got that going I think then you can introduce the concept to the potty okay so I think this one's time and patience she's doing so well 
but understanding to do a poop in the toilet is much harder than understanding to do a wee in the toilet. So this one I think is time and patience. Well, good luck with that, Claire. And I think we might have time for one or two more. Um, This one's from Penny. She says, any advice for a toddler who absolutely hates having her hair washed? My daughter is 18 months old and for her whole life has absolutely hated getting her head wet. Whether it's a pool, bath or shower, she doesn't like having water on her face or hair. She's getting better with it at her swimming lessons. Our lovely teacher has spent a lot of time on this with with her but in the bath or shower no way this makes washing her hair a real drama so much so that we only wash it when it's absolutely necessary but at her age that really needs to be at least once a week or so life is messy with kids this age as i'm sure you know is there anything we can do to stop the crying and screaming every single time we wash her hair It's become a two-person job with my partner holding and soothing her while I try to get the job done as quickly as possible. We use a little jug and carefully pour so it doesn't get on her face. Her thrashing around makes this very difficult and we obviously use mild baby shampoo so it doesn't sting her eyes. Is there anything else we can do? Well, I think you're doing well because some kids really struggle with this and I think it's a sensory thing, like the feeling the fact that she's making headway in the swimming is probably going to help this. The only thing I can think of that you may not have tried is I think you're doing the right thing, do it once a week, continue doing it once a week. Um, I, I don't think you can get around that. But I would try and start making it a plaything in some other time, like getting a plastic doll with hair and actually showing letting her do it in play so at this age they do a lot of role playing and mimicking and just sitting her on a chair outside and letting her really wet the doll and put put it on and rub it in and just let her practice it and then see if that helps her the next thing I do from there is I'd sit in the bath with her and let her wash your hair and see if she that feeling and that play association could come together so and don't do it with shampoo or anything just let her run the water over and play with your hair and then you run the water in the same way you've been doing with the jug and gently down that and just playing with the hair so it's outside of that window where you would wash her hair okay so i let her wash the doll's hair but in yours i'd be just mimicking the behavior and the play to see if that increases her Um, ability to accept you to wash her hair but I would continue washing her hair once a week mainly because of it for the health reasons in doing it with a little one but I'd be doing lots of role playing outside of it see if we could get those two things to connect together so it's a difficult one that one yeah uh we might finish with this one from facebook from arelli who says i'm trying to introduce formula after breastfeeding exclusively my baby will be one on august 13 but he really doesn't eat much during the day he's allergic to cow's milk that was my reason for breastfeeding what can i do to make my child prefer solid and solid foods and formula rather than my breast he's also crying all the time when i put him down to do housework well, that sounds like fun, <laughs> not. Oh, this, one's, this one is a tough one. Um, I think the essence of this is you need to be really consistent with timing. So um, whether it's a breast or a bottle, 
it has to be in the timing of when he needs it because if he gets the solids and the bottle and then in between he might end up with a breastfeed, then it's confusing him. So I would make sure that if you were going to breastfeed him and he was due for a milk feed, he either gets the breastfeed or the bottle, depending on where she's at. Feeds come at the same time and we don't breastfeed him outside those windows so that he gets consistency in the pattern. And I think once he gets consistency in the pattern, then the behaviour itself will settle down, okay? So hopefully that makes sense in terms of uh, just being really clear about what is a breastfeed and what is a bottle and not muddling up the breastfeeder's comfort and then he's not sure whether he's going to get a breastfeed, a bottle or a solids meal. So the consistency is the important thing in this one. Okay, well, good luck early. Um, that is all we have time for today on Helpline with Chris Minogue. Chris, thank you so much for joining us and all of your answers. If you didn't get a chance to ask Chris your question, remember you can book a one-on-one session with her through Babyology's parent school platform. There'll be links both in the notes of this episode and also if you're watching via Facebook in the comments below. And we will be back next week with another expert to answer your questions. We'll see you then. Bye, Chris. Bye. Feed, Play, Love is a babyology podcast produced and presented by me, Siobhan Hunt. I'd love to hear from you. So if you'd like to get in touch, email me at feedplaylove at theparentbrand.com.au. See you next time.